Welcome to our Good Friday on Wednesday service. It used to just be called Good Friday Wednesday. Uh, this started out of a tradition uh, way back when we first got started as a college ministry, I think somewhere around the year of either 2017 or 2018, and it was just a college event. And because college students tend to go home on Good Friday. And so we're like, you know what? We're just going to have a Good Friday service on Wednesday. And then it grew into something where we're like, let's invite the whole of the church. And I actually think that that was some key people at the time who were interns and people who were involved who were like, Weeks, why don't we invite everybody? And I was like, okay, uh, let's go with it. And it turned into this thing that's a very Grace City sort of thing, which is Good Friday on Wednesday. And so I appreciate y'all being here. I know that for our post-college people, whether you're post-college by one year or 50 years, you know, uh, this may be not something that you're used to, but I'm glad that you're here. And so one of the things that this Good Friday service that I would hope for us is that we see the story of Jesus as he is making his way towards the cross, but maybe not exactly how we've always looked at it. And maybe you have before in the sense of what I'm about to get at, but I think we as a church, and I don't mean like Grace City, I mean as like the big C church, sometimes can look at Passion Week or Holy Week in a way where we know the story, we become quite familiar with it, and so we do one of two things with it. Again, there's definitely some subcategories to this, but I fear that we can take it either in an overly somber sort of way, and I think sometimes it's right to be reflective, to think about the gravity of what's happening in and through this story. Like, I think sometimes that's right, but I think we can sometimes take it to the point of being morose, of being mournful, and again, not just like mournful for our sin, but in a way where we would look at Jesus almost like some sort of tragic literary hero, where we're like, man, Jesus just didn't know what was coming to him. Or maybe he knew what was coming but couldn't quite get out of it. And then we slap on like, but he wouldn't have wanted to. Uh, and But we're like, you know, we treat Jesus, we see him. Again, you can look at all sorts of historical paintings. You see Jesus, he's like, again, I always joke with Eichmann about this. I'm like, there's pretty white Jesus just standing over there, uh, you know, just like being like mournful and very white and just kind of like pale looking and sad looking. And I'm like, I do think Jesus was probably sad in this moment. But I think these paintings sometimes, I know what they're trying to convey, but I think sometimes they can subvert the heart of what's really going on in the text. And I'll try to explain that as we keep going. That we treat Jesus as just this character who is having this bad thing happen to him. And definitely he allows things to happen to him, but he's not passive in this whole story. Like, he is not at all in any way passive. He is definitely active in this, even if it's allowing things to be done to him. But we'll get back to that in a second, because I think the other way that we can take the whole of Passion Week or Holy Week is like 
the lead up to the Super Bowl were like, y'all, Easter is coming. Like, you know, get your game day attire on. Like, get those Easter suits out for the kids. Like, whatever it is, Easter baskets, bunnies. And if, if you know, if you're like me and growing up, we did have an Easter tree, but not like you'd think it had like definitely some religious paraphernalia on it. Um, and so if you didn't have an Easter tree, blessings upon you. I think sometimes we can treat this though like the lead up to Super Bowl Sunday because we often treat it like we know the outcome, y'all. It's like the people who rewatch football games. Maybe that's you. And like you relive it and you're like getting hype about it. And again, I don't think that there's anything wrong or sinful about that. I mean, we do know the outcome. We should be celebratory about that. The whole of the New Testament is dependent on the outcome. But I think in this moment of Holy Week, we can sometimes fail to see the heart of Jesus in action. And as I read more and more of the New Testament, as I think about working with students, as I think about my own life, the greater and greater my desire is for me and is for you is to recover the heart of who Jesus is. Like, I want you to see his heart in motion. I want you to not just treat him as this two-dimensional, flattened-out character, this person who we paint in Renaissance paintings and have this sallow, sad-looking Jesus, but I really would want you to see his heart in motion. And again, his heart in motion is actually neither of these two sides. His heart in motion will have some moments of sorrow, to be sure. Because as we've been talking about this past sermon series, I mean, Jesus is being denied. He's being put up on false charges. He ultimately will be crucified. And so there's a lot going on, also bearing the weight of the sin of the world, being separated from communion with the Father. Again, that there's all of this, but also think about him walking amongst his disciples, walking among those who he loved, walking the planet, walking the earth. And I did not know they were going to sing this song tonight, nor did they know I was going to go to Isaiah 53, where it says, Isaiah 53, 3 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom we hide our faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions and was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so truly, Jesus was a man who knew sorrow, experientially knew what it was like to live in and walk amongst a broken world, amongst broken people, to understand the frailty of the human condition. But as I said, it would be wrong to assume that Jesus is just a tragic character. 
For there was surely more underneath because Jesus elsewhere in the scriptures is described as when he was heading towards Jerusalem, set his face like flint to go toward Jerusalem. Again, that, that phrase loses context in our modern age, but this idea that there was a, res, a resolved nature about him, that there was a resolute operation happening here, that Jesus was not passively being drawn into Jerusalem. No, he was headed toward Jerusalem purposefully. Again, this Old Testament prophecy, Jesus knew what he was going to do new to the outcome he was headed. Why do I want us to drink that in, to see that Jesus, when we think about Holy Week, when we think about Easter, that all of the things that are happening, the upper room, the praying in the garden, the betrayal, the trumped up charges, these trials, ultimately crucifixion, that Jesus isn't just being slung around one place to the next. And surely there are sinful men who were manhandling him, abusing him. But Jesus, as I said, was purposefully allowing himself to take on this pathway to fulfill the Old Testament prophecies, to ultimately be the one who would pay for our sin. But I want to talk about this resoluteness. Because we could also just jump into and be like, okay, Jesus like knew what he was about. And kind of have this like, you know, grind mode mentality. Like I'm going to grip my teeth, just going to bear down and get through it. Just going to just kind of hang on tight till the end. Like I was talking with a friend today and I was like, I was like, dude, how's your semester? And he just like, he was like, like this. Just like holding on to the back of a truck just hoping that just hang on till the end. And I think sometimes we can treat Jesus like that in the midst of Holy Week, that Jesus was just holding on to the very end. But again, there's a resoluteness, but I would say more than a resoluteness, a resolute anticipation, anticipation of joy. A resolute anticipation of joy. That this was the thing carrying him through the week. And surely we could tease out the other things. Like he wants to be obedient to the Father. That's the thing. That he wants to take his people from his slavery to sin to freedom, yes. But all of this is pointing at a greater thing. This resolute anticipation of joy. This is the ballast. In Hebrews chapter 12, it talks about this. It says about us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every sin and weight which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus wasn't a tragic hero. Jesus wasn't just in grind mode getting work done. That Jesus saw, saw what was to come, knew what was to come, 
knew what was, uh, was, what was on the other side of the cross and therefore pursued the cross earnestly. That he pursued this means of restoration. He pursued this means of redemption purposefully, not accidentally. And why? For the joy set before him. And you may say, what is that joy? What does it look like? For that, I would say we can go to two places in the book of Revelation. First, in Revelation 5.11, where the apostle John is transported to the heavenly realms and he says then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing." And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. And so I'm not going to stop there, but that could that is part of the joy the reward of his suffering the exaltation of his suffering that he would be the one who is forever proclaimed as worthy the one who was worthy to redeem people but here we see that he is worthy of all these things but it doesn't stop there if we go to revelation 7 verse 9 Again, John is in the heavenly realms looking at all of this, seeing what is transpiring. And then he says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore they are before the throne of God and serve him night and day in his temple. And and he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to the springs of living water. And our God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Again, so when we think about the joy set before him, 
the joy set before him looks like all the little micro things that add up to this, that the Lord would be forever proclaimed as the great redeemer, would be extolled as worthy of all glory, honor, power, wisdom, might, but also the joy of restored fellowship with his people. Again, that the Lord created in the beginning a garden, a garden where a relationship between God and man took place. And here the joy set before him is restoration, his people brought back in where they will be forever invincibly safe and whole. Romans 5, 8 says this, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we have been reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. And so as we head towards a close on this, I would want to encourage us, as we continue in on this holy week, as we continue to look toward Friday, towards Easter, I would encourage us to think about all the events of that holy week and how Jesus had set before him Another way we would talk about it is if it were us, again, being certain of things unseen, that is faith. That again, I, I, I feel very hesitant to talk about Jesus and faith because I know he has seen what is, but I think about us and trusting in that which is unseen. That I think sometimes we too are people who I would urge us to have this resolute, anticipatory joy, knowing that which is to come, that it can ballast us too as we walk through the things of life, as we walk through the heartache and the sorrows of life, that we too know there is a day when the Lord will come to make us all together with him one, when we will be taken to be with him where the reality of Revelation 7 will come to be. But here in the meantime, I would want for us to be encouraged by the reality that Jesus was not a tragic hero, that Jesus wasn't just letting things happen to him, nor was he a passive partaker, but that he was actively pursuing his joy in redeeming his people and our joy in knowing him and abiding with him both now and for the infinite ages to come. Will you join me as I pray for us? Father, I pray that you would use these words and remind us that you are always working for the joy of your people. 
Father, I pray that you would remind us that Jesus was not, is not, a tragic hero, but the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who is in total control of all time and space and actions, totally sovereign. And yet, Father, would you help us to take in that you sent your Son, born of a woman, to walk the earth, to live a sinless life, to give himself that we may be saved, ransomed, and redeemed. And so, Father, I pray, would you help us to take that in and rest in that and knowing that our salvation was purpose-bought, that we are not mere accidentally aware of your existence and what you are doing in the world, but, Father, that you are about the redemption of your people. Father, help us to rest in that. And, Father, I saw in Jesus' name. Amen.